welcome to the Jew and Gentile podcast. I am your host, Chris Katolka, and with me is none other than the Jewish sage himself, the one and only Mr. Steve Herzig. How are you, sir? The music's too loud. Couldn't I'll hear you it. talk. Ah, uh, there you go. How's there that? Is that go. better? That's a lot better. What a day. We, we have, got we got people in the house. We've got people in the house, and we are here having a good time with them. And they're not just people, they're your people. They are my people. Great they people. are my people. My oldest daughter, Shayna, her husband, Mike, their two kids, Bella and William, are here in the house. Hold on a second. Welcome in, welcome in. I'm sorry for cutting you off, but oh, we just like I'm to cut end. off all the time. We I like, feel right at home. We like to end uh, that music well. So, intri- please let's let's get right to our family guests. These aren't just guests. This the, is family. The, the, that's right. These are family. We have Shayna Leary, my daughter, uh, and we have Mike Leary. My, Mike is a PhD mm-hmm. out of Edinburgh. That's um, did you, who I still. We're actually going to talk about his dissertation. Today. We are going know. to talk <laughs> about uh, it. It was and, quite a while ago. And then, <laughs> Let's and not then, get too deep in that. The, okay. Well, getting shallow is too deep for me. <laughs> so, so, and then we have Bella, who is going to be a junior in high school, and already Chris, my math teacher in tenth grade, took me out outside, called me special outside, and said, "Steve, you work very hard, and I've noticed all year how hard you work." And that's why I'm passing you with a D and telling you never take math again. <laughs> but wait, wait, wait. Did you say she called you special in out, class? Or outside. No, she, she said, Stephen, will you please come outside? Oh, okay. She didn't want to embarrass me. I don't know if she was just calling you special. No, no. <laughs> she wasn't calling me special. But Bella, so granddaughter, lets you know this is not from my side. It's definitely from Mike's side of the family. Bella wants to major in math. All right, Bella, if you wouldn't mind, get close to your dad so everyone can see your face over there. Tell Just us. so that they can see you. Go ahead, get nice and get close. Get closer, get closer. For our, pot, for our YouTube. There you go. That's fantastic. Good to see you. Now you're on the, now you're up. There we go. Good. All right, and then. And okay. then we have William. William. Will- um, William, you'd have to get up and climb over your Zadie here in order to see, uh, be seen. Just come close for a second. Yeah, get close to your We're Zadie. We're disturbing him. He's on the phone. I know. You know, they're always on there, the phone. There, there. Oh, get closer, get closer, get closer. There you go. There is, there he is with uh, Zadie. Zadie, that's Yiddish. That's right. That's right. I, there, I'm the Zadie. Um, we're going to be playing golf this summer. Oh, now, really? You know, if people ask me when I play golf, do you play golf? And I said, I always say, I own golf clubs. That's that's my answer. Well, I played golf with you once. I think my dad and you and the boys. I think we did play once. Sam and, and I don't out. keep score. I decide how many balls I lose. If it's zero <laughs> balls, it was a great day. That's the, why I always think the word handicap is in. Like that's a real handicap. Going to, me. to when play the balls golf are going is a off, handicap. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's, it's a handicap. But this is my family. This that's is a, a, Shana. Did you ever think your father would be on a podcast? No, but I'm not surprised. But I don't. I never thought about it. Uh oh, that's loaded. I'm not surprised. What do, what does that mean? It seems like a good use of your gifts. <laughs> that's fantastic. It is a good use of his gifts. He doesn't have to prepare. It's all up here and it comes right out naturally. There you go. There you go. Do you want to share any stories growing up? I mean, now's your opportunity if you want to air any of the grievances or anything like that. Oh, her wow. list is oh. airing of the grievances. Her, her list out, is long. Get out the Festivus poll, okay? Nothing nothing comes to mind that I need to grieve on air. That's <laughs> on air. On air, that's right. Later on, uh, I've known you for quite some time, and Mike, I've known you, um, but when I met Steve and Alice and 
Sam, John, and Joanna, you, I think, you had already moved on to college. Uh, to college. That's right. And that's where you met Mike. Yes, that's right. Emmaus Bible College is where we were, I guess, at the time. I did live in Pennsylvania for a year, but that might have been before you. Yeah, I think uh, b- before we had... I had met the family okay. because when I uh, first interacted with you, Bell, I mean, I held Bella yes, as a baby. Yes. I don't think I held William as a baby, but I did hold, hold yes, Bella I as a baby. I have a picture. I can think of a picture of you holding Bella. So mm-hmm. I know that happened. Yep. Well, that, that's why I like, you know, wasn't even born in the United States. Oh, oh really? Eliminate her from presidency. Oh, really? Outside she of the United States. She cannot be the president. That really stinks. I'm sorry that, about that. That's a tough did one to Did you have take. goals of being a president? Okay. She she's known that she can't be the president, so it was just taken off the table. <laughs> that's, you, that's what her first words. I can't be president. We'd vote for her. Yeah, <laughs> she'd do a great job. That's great. That's great. Um, so, uh, Steve, just for our listeners, so that they know, the Jew and Gentile podcast is sponsored by FOI Equip. And Steve, we've got some great- Mordecai Kadar. Mordecai Kadar is when's coming he up. coming on? Mordecai is going to be coming on June fifteenth, seven thirty p.m. a Thursday night. Um, and uh, he's going to be tuning in from Israel. Which, will we be able to see him? Those people watch YouTube. Will they be able to see him? Yep. The, the, we'll post it later on so that people can watch it. Because on the demand. reason is, what's that? Oh, yeah. He'll be flying. Yeah. He'll he, be flapping all over the place. I, we got to get him worked up. That's the thing. And we, I think the Six Day War will definitely just that's tell the topic. Just tell him we're Jewish and we're interested in Jewish and Gentile coming to know. Jesus as their savior. He'll fly all yeah. over the place. <laughs> uh, he does love Christians though. I've seen him before at the um at the uh, a couple events in Israel and um it, it, it's he's such a nice guy, but he's going to be he is sharp. I mean, he he speaks I don't know how many languages including Arabic. Uh, and until recently, we found out he was able to get on Arab speaking news shows mm-hmm. and and uh discuss Israeli policies with them. Yes. And quite animated. I so might he's add. yeah and he's gonna be on talking about the six day war. And if you haven't registered for that class yet, you can go to foiequip.org and there you can register for Steve. I mean, what does this thing cost? Uh, ten bucks, fifteen bucks? We say it three times. You say it three times. Free, free, free. Free, free, free. It's free. So please come register here for Mordecai Kadar. And then in July we have a class that we kind of snuck in there, which is on church history with our very own Tim Harrison here. Tim Harrison. He's got I'm a, laughing because there's no one like Tim. Nope. And he is a genius. We've had him on the podcast before, and he's going to be talking about church history. He does a fantastic job with church history. And so we're excited to have but Tim on. What about 424-444-1948? Text us if you have... What do we have? Seven listeners on. Maybe one of them is live. They yep. could text us. With, have we gotten any texts? Well, I would last just week? like to say um, one of our listeners from 618 area code um, down in Louisiana said, Good morning, Chris. If you and Steve are looking for uh, the next study after Revelation, because oh, wait, we've been, we've been laboring. We've, we've, laboring. Been camp- we've been camping here. That's right, through Revelation. Uh, if you're looking for the next study, I'd like to suggest Ecclesiastes. I thought that would be great. Great that idea. That is an interesting... I remember teaching the book of Ecclesiastes to young people. Okay, great. Well, maybe we can resurrect that. Uh, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. No, I don't, I don't want to... I don't think so. Well, maybe the book, but not that study. Uh, the, he said, I started reading it as my morning devotional, and it seems there's a lot of Hebrew n- nuances in the translation. So I 
would think that'd be a great conversation. That's a great to have. suggestion. Mm-hmm. That comes from six one eight from the Louisiana area. Um, another one. Thank you, gentlemen, for your podcast. Glad. Gen- you- Wait a second. Stop right there, gentlemen. <laughs> gentlemen. <laughs> Very nice. What podcast <laughs> is that person listening to? This is more like a kids show. So f- this is four three four area code. That's the Lynchburg area. Thank you, gentlemen, for your podcast. Glad you got eight uh, ch- chapter eighteen. <laughs> <laughs> We are too. And I'm very thankful for all you do for Israel and especially God's glory. Um, uh, He says he's glad to be one of the seven. And he, listen to this, Steve, this one will blow your mind. He's a faculty member at Liberty University, you ready? In the med school. So there you go. These are, this is our audience. The closest I'll ever be to a doctor. (laughs) We love our listeners. Hey, listen, uh, text us in. Uh, We'd love to share what you're saying to our audience. The number is, Steve? 424-444-1948. And we chose 1948 for a reason, because it was the year the state of Israel was founded. So again, 424-444-1948. Let us know what you think. Hey, and if you want to say something negative, go ahead. Well, I'll just give it to Steve. You know, he can handle it, right? He can handle the criticism. Well, let's let's go to Mike. Mike, what was your thesis? Give us the title of your thesis and what you were trying to say and how long it took you to do. Let's skip that last question. Oh, boy. It took me a long time to write my thesis. That's really hard to do. Yeah, it's not easy. Yeah. I worked in John chapter 21. Nice. Particularly because of the last verse, which we probably recall, right? It's John saying, listen, I wrote this book, but let me tell you, if I wrote down everything that I saw Jesus say and do, the world couldn't contain all the books that could be written. There's Mm. even a hymn about that. Yes, it's a fascinating verse, and there's several verses in the Old Testament that allude to the works of of, of God uh, in that respect, being so grand and vast that as humans, we can't really, we, we couldn't re- recount what God did in and for Israel. Mm. And now that, that same thing is being said of Jesus it, after Jesus' death and resurrection, which is a beautiful correlation between what God does in and for Israel in the Old Testament, and we see that Beautiful story of redemption unfolding, and now John is seeing that in, in, in Christ here. And as someone who walked with Jesus, we're seeing John, he's writing this gospel. He's old. He's spent his life now as a disciple, and he's spent his life discipling others and seeing the church grow, and he's been teaching people about Jesus, and now he's at the end of his life. He's written this gospel. This is what he wants to leave with the world and with believers is what he remembered being important about Jesus. Hmm. And in John's mind— He's sitting there over at a desk somewhere with with uh, uh, papyri out in front of him and a quill, and he's thinking, what story am I going to tell? And he's thinking back through this time that he spent with this man that he came to know, not just as Messiah, but also as Lord. And he wants to tell this story in such a way that he's leading us to believe in Jesus the same way that he came to believe in Jesus. Hmm. And what John is recognizing is that as a gospel writer, he has to be selective. He's picking these different stories that he found important. He's picking teaching that he remembers Jesus sharing with them that he recognizes now was most important. Uh, He's being selective about what he is putting in his gospel, which is really important for us as uh, students of the gospels and understanding what the gospels are and why they were written. Mm. Uh, it's easy to read through the gospel accounts and listen to the stories and listen to the teaching of Jesus, and we get to the end and we think, hmm, that was great, 
Um, I think I understand who Jesus was. Uh, it's another thing to listen to John, and particular, particularly that verse, and see the, the writers of the gospel were being selective and artful and, and creative and under the influence and inspiration of the Holy Spirit, of course. But their story of Jesus is the story that we need to hear. Their story of Jesus in the gospel is the one that will lead us to, to faith. Uh, the one, it's the story that will lead us to understand what is Jesus doing when he's talking about Israel and the Gentiles and all these new things that are happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's a beautiful image. And then, you know, John doesn't leave us, though, without reminding us that what we're, what we're seeing in the Gospels is just a sliver, just a glimpse of who Jesus is and what Jesus actually did when he was here among us. Is there, uh, John was the only Gospel that used that, where he used, wrote that phrase. Right. Was there, a, do you think there's any correlation between that and the fact that, you know, the other three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are called the Synoptic Gospels because they share a lot of similarities in the way that they were written. Um, do you think there's anything to be said about why John is so different in relation? Because you mentioned creativity in the way that he would want to communicate this story of Jesus. That's the right, que- that's the right question, Chris. I think that John was sitting there very cognizant of the fact that he is the last. Mm-hmm. Here he is. He's at the end of his life. He's seen the other apostles martyred and pass away in different ways. Their ministries went different directions. And he knows that this is the last chance for someone who was an eyewitness to get those words on paper for the legacy of the church. And he is thinking about, here's what Matthew said, here's what Luke said. And there there are overlaps between the Gospels, the basic structure, for example, and a lot of the geographical features, and we know that the synoptics are really invested in showing Jesus in Jerusalem and Jesus in conflict with other rabbis and teachers. Uh, and John picks up on all of that, but John is kind of coming in and and filling in the in, in the gaps. One good example of that is the amount of time that John spends talking about the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. That's really important to John. <laughs> he spends a lot of time on that in comparison to the other Gospels, and that that might be because. John here at the end of the first century has seen how important the Holy Spirit has oh, that's been so interesting. to the growth of the early church and how people have come to faith. He's seen the Holy Spirit in Acts, for example. We see that the Holy Spirit uh, essentially unlocks the gospel for the Samaritans and mm-hmm. for the Gentiles. And John's lived through that. And he's lived through the controversies, and he's seen how the Holy Spirit has kept the church together uh, and how the Holy Spirit has, has, has led them to understand Jesus. Uh, even if Jesus is no longer with them. Mm-hmm. That, to John, is so precious and, and so foundational to what's happened in the early church that he's, that's a good example of, of what he's doing that the, the synoptics don't. Um, John is also a very Jewish gospel. When we read the Gospel of John, you get a good crash course in the geography and the mm-hmm. politics and the religious culture of first century Jerusalem. Yeah, I mean, it walks you through the feasts of Israel from, you know, all throughout the Gospels. It, it does. Or all throughout, John. Yes, and a lot of, over the over the years, uh, in scholarship, the Gospel of John's gotten a really bad rap because it feels more theological, and sometimes it kind of feels like John is making these things up because the synoptics don't tell the story that way, or the synoptics don't include that. Mm-hmm. But uh, on the other hand, uh, commentators will, will point out, but look, when you look at the Gospel of John, even in comparison to the synoptics, 
John's gospel is rife with eyewitness detail mm-hmm. about specific features of the temple and specific features of Jerusalem. And there's many times in which John will put you in the scene in the way that the other gospels don't. So clearly, this element of historicity to the Gospel of John is really important for us to grasp. And it's, it's, it's part of our—we can depend on John, I think, in, in large measure due to that detail. You know, I, one more thing I want to say about this, too, is it's uh, interesting how you said, you know, there's probably a lot of development going on with John um, as scholars are looking at it. But, you know, when we go to Israel, we have a great tour guide that we love to use. His name is Tito, and he's just a great guy. But he always says— you know, John is so anti-Semitic, and that's the way he reads John. He's not a he's not a believer at all. He says John is anti-Semitic, and I just kind of look at I look at him. I go, you know, John is Jewish. I mean, there were Jewish people; they were angry at one another, you know, and they said things to. One, I mean, there were Jewish people killing Jews. The Zealots were killing other Jewish people, and the Dead Sea Scrolls are are, you know, um, are saying rude things about, but it's just funny that the way that he reads, even though John is Jewish, he's reading it and going, oh, it's so anti-Semitic. And I think, have you read the Dead Sea Scrolls? These people right. couldn't right. stand the other, you know, there was infighting going on. He's reading out of context. That's right. You have to have context. What was the title? Tell us the title of your thesis. Uh, it was a literary historical reading of John 21. The rhetoric. I, I honestly can't remember. It's, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It took me a few years to write it, and the title kind of came later, but it's focused on John 21. And a, another element that really struck me about John 21 is that the final verse there about the world couldn't contain all the books that were written. I actually found a reference in Yohanan ben Zakkai, who is a mm-hmm. very early rabbi. Mm-hmm. And he, he's writing when Judaism is really shifting from what we know as Judaism in the first century into more rabbinical Judaism. And uh, Yonan ben Sakai has a, has a beautiful uh, way of describing the law. And what he says about the law is that if, if we really wanted to write the fullness of God's law, it would take every reed on earth would need to be a quill, and the sky would need to be a scroll. Oh, very similar. So John, both of these beautiful Jewish teachers in the sec, in the first and into the second century are having the same thoughts, one about the law and one about Jesus. And I Interesting. Know, I, really, I really do think that John was aware of that poetic way of thinking about the law, and now he's saying it about Christ. And that was very, like you said, it was, he's writing around 90 AD as well, as that, you said, that transition in Judaism right. is taking place after the destruction of the temple. And I think it's fitting that as you're talking about John, the Gospel of John, it's also John who wrote Revelation and is where we are in the book of Revelation, which we're going to get to soon. Very soon. But we want to go from deep, which is I'm glad Mike is here and eloquently uh, tells us about John, the last chapter, and in a wonderful way, scholarly way, uh, talking about the context of the Gospel. But and, and talks lovingly about the Jewish people in Israel as he talks about Christ. Well, now we want to go to Shana because we're going to have a different perspective of the Jewish people and a way <laughs> of embracing it because my mother has been playing Mahjong for over 70 years. And that's what Jewish women do, uh, at least older Jewish women, until recently. So Shana... Tell us about this phenomenon 
tell us a little bit about Mahjong. My mother's been playing it every week, once a week. She's on her third set of friends. She's buried two sets of Mahjong players. Oh, and wow. she's not, she's not Because they lost? Their time ran out. And she's on people my age that she plays with. Uh, so, Shana, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so um, a few years ago, I had a friend that asked if I would want to get into playing Maj, and she had a vision for kind of— That's the short—they call it Maj? Oh, yeah, oh, they yes. call it Maj. Oh, yes. that's so funny. We'll be we'll be referring to it as Maj. <laughs> 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 um, so she—we learned how to play together, and now we are playing once a week, and it was her idea, so hello to Shanna. Tell, tell them what Mahjong yes. is. And um, I was going to say, but I was excited because knowing that my Bubby, so a shout out to Bubby and to aunt, my Aunt Michelle, um, listening. Um, so if you, we get, a, I get a lot of people that say, oh, I've played Maj online. And what they mean is a matching game that you've seen online. That is not Maj. Maj mm. is um, a game with tiles. And every year, the National Mahjong League. Um, comes out with a card. This that is has, heavy stuff. Yes, this is intense. It's intense. It, there's a, a different patterns that the tiles will form that you're trying to get to win Maj. Um, and it's so controlled now by some Jewish ladies, right? Yeah, so I did a, did a little bit of reading about it so that I could talk about it. I also found out that it was played, um, really got popular in the Catskills, and that Jewish women continued playing it because it was associated with their vacation and then they could come home. And even in over the years, during hard times, during the war, when the husbands went off to war, um, it was just a game. It's lighthearted. It is. It's strategic. And it's you, you've got to be thinking about it. But um, it's just something fun that people can gather and do. So I think for many years it's been associated with older Jewish women. But it is up and coming with younger people wanting to get together and play Maj. So, you know, I was in Dallas in March doing a bunch of Passovers and one of our friends um, who loves the Jewish people uh, at the church that we used to go to told me that there's a person in Dallas that you pay $500 and she will teach you Maj. And she said, Chris, this, it's like, everybody's doing it. And it's not old people, it's young people. And it's not just Jewish people, it's everybody. And so she goes, oh, everybody does that here. I have not heard it. Maybe it's going on in the Philadelphia area, but I have not heard about it. Well, but when let's I was in Dallas. text us right now, 424-444-1948, if you ever heard of Mahjong oh, or Maj. Yes, That's a can't good one. wait to hear. So we are starting at um, Maj Society, our first time for the House of Blanchard. Shout out to anybody that's in St. Louis and wants to come to the House of Blanchard Maj that's, Society. Isn't that your... June, that's the, yeah, that's the same people. That's the town. Blanchard. Oh, oh wait, no, what? no, it's that's the friends. That's oh. the friends who have are helping to start this oh, module. Okay. League. So oh. if you're in the St. Louis area and June 16th is going to be our first time, our first meeting, but there will be plenty of other opportunities if you want to learn Maj as well. If you want to learn Maj with the Blanchard House of Blanchard, House of Blanchard, and you're in the St. Louis area, you text 424-444-1948, and I will make sure that you get to the right people. And you can be a part of this. What, 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 it's a society of people, a you're society. saying. society. So I've been playing once a week with a, a group of friends, um, limited because it's during the day. But this will be other opportunities for other 
evenings or weekends or yeah, whatever. Yeah, my mom so. always played it in the evenings. Can I ask something? What's what's different? Why is this so, you know, my, my I watched my parents play Pinochle with everybody. How is this different than, is it any different than when my parents would get together and play Pinochle? Or is there something different? Like, I've never heard of a society of Pinochle players. So how is it different if you're with Mojang? I don't think it's different. I think it's just, it's something fun and you can talk while you're doing it. You it, you look forward to it. Like I said, it feels like you're on vacation. So maybe Pinochle is the same. It's just something it's a fun. Community it's, game. It is a community game for sure. I love Here's, it. For 70 years, well, when I was growing up, Tuesday night was Mahjong, and uh, the ladies moved from house to house, so it came once a month, and I looked forward to it. I didn't play, didn't know anything about it, except for the break. <laughs> so I would be upstairs, I would wait, to, they started probably 7.30, 8 o'clock, and at 9 o'clock or 9.30, they'd take a break, and the woman who hosted had food. They were Hamish. Yeah. They had food. And so I'd come downstairs for the... My father used to make fun of me because I went downstairs to talk to the ladies. I love talking to the I'm ladies. I'm going to tell you something. Food seems to drive a lot of the major things that happen in your life. I'll, almost everything. I mean, you went downstairs. You hung out with the Mahjong ladies. You you came to the Lord through uh locks. Through food. Locks That's and right. bagel. That's Correct. amazing. Yep. Well, I do need to interrupt to say that my... I So my dad and my brother and Bella and Mike... We played this week. We oh, did you? Yep. Bam. Let's see. Bam, cracks, and dots. Right? Yes, that's right. Bam, cracks, and dots. Who it was insane. Uh, Actually, Jonathan won. Jonathan did he really? Won. Yep. Mm-hmm. He okay. did. Big he did. Job, and Jonathan. I, we told their bubby, my mother, that, uh, and who, by the way, gave Shayna an ivory. That ought to let you know how old it is. They're not allowed to make them anymore. Gave them her ivory mahjong set. Really? Yes, yeah. a huge what, honor. Very happy. What, that's that is like getting the family china, I'm sure. It is my. Fa- <laughs> I think it's my uh, heirloom. Yeah. But, but I have to tell you, it's typically Jewish. I could say this. That's a wonderful thing. My mother handing off an ivory mahjong set to my daughter and said, listen, you take this. None of my daughters were interested. They didn't want anything. So... You can have that's, that's it. Right. So she, in front of she, everybody, too? She, no, well, I don't go. know if there's any. I don't know. But I do know she told me that. Uh, she's happy. She's She is so excited. I told Shayna, please tell your bubby that you have it and that you're playing. And I said, we. and I told them, my mother also, that we were going to play. At least we're going to attempt to play. She couldn't believe it. Oh, that's fantastic. So, Maj. Maj. Okay. Well, maybe we need to have you back and do a Maj training of I some sort. I would love it, Chris. I'm going to hold you to it. You and Karen, I'm going to teach you how to mosh. Oh, I am Dot, very bam, excited. and crack. <laughs> I'm telling you, that you look at them and you're trying to put them into sets and ay yeah yeah yeah. Hold on a minute. Ay All right, there we go. Um, okay, so, uh, Steve, we have uh, Did You Know? Because oh, we're in know? Revelation That's chapter right. 19. The marriage supper of the land. So I, you lamb. two, by the way, this does not you, mean you turn off. We have you on, as you can see. They see you. You can come in anytime you want. No, no, you, no, you chime in. Move chime in. Closer. We're going to be looking at the yeah. scriptures. We're going to be talking. Just cut us off, okay? You can we, interrupt. You're allowed to interrupt. See, here. we should tell people the rules before the podcast. There aren't any. That's the problem. <laughs> there aren't any. People well, the rules can't of believe. no rules. Mike, Mike said, uh, you know, how do I have to prepare? I said, no, you don't. Have, it's already stuff you know about. But I did tell him I was going to ask a couple questions. And you can see. 100% uh, yeah, he was yeah, right. He, 
He raised the bar. Uh-huh. I thought. Uh, I mean, this to this, this ceiling, whole, this whole this side. It look math over there with my granddaughter. Yep. Scholarship and John, Maj, and Maj for and William, William, who you say, which I didn't wait, disagree. Can I say what I? He he should stand up because you want him to run your four hundred one k. Well, when I saw him the other day, you know, he was just dressed so snazzy, which I wish I dressed that way. How old are you, William? Thirteen years old. Thirteen. So I'm watching and I'm going, man. When I was 13, I looked like like a schmo. I mean, like I had a schlep. Yeah, you're nothing but a schlep. Baggy this. I had you know holes in my pants because I was skateboarding. And I look at him and I go, I look like I could just give him my 401k right now and he'd manage it perfectly. So, the man knows how to dress and he knows how to golf. Too. Golf. I mean, good night. That's so, what I'm saying. He's on his way. That's right. I'm well, gonna stick next so to him. So what I decided uh, again from Emily Stone, we thank you, Emily. I know you're not even listening. You don't even know we exist, but we've been using you anyway. I just wanted to read one little four lines from uh, Emily Stone's book, The Ketubah. The Ketubah is essentially a Jewish prenup. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> it's a prenup that sets forth the rights and responsibilities of the groom for his beloved. Clothing, food, sex, and hopefully a nice wad of cash in the event of a divorce. <laughs> the Ket- the ketubah is signed by two witnesses and read aloud under the chuppah. You know, what's interesting about the ketubah is it sets the law for the man, who his responsibilities for his wife. Mm-hmm. It's not legally binding, uh, in uh, certainly in this country. I don't know of any country that it is, maybe under the auspices of, of very ultra-Orthodox folks. But the, it actually has become a focal point of modern Jewish weddings, even though they ha- don't even read it. Uh, they're used for art, hung on a wall. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're used for photo sessions when the bride and the groom sign the ketubah and f- with the rabbi there. Uh, and so it, the principle, though, Chris, I think is a good one in that in Judaism, in biblical Judaism, and even in rabbinic Judaism, the man is—you're res- not allowed to say that in our culture today. The man is responsible— He's responsible for the security of his wife. He's responsible to take care of her. Mm-hmm. He is the protector. And if he violates that, uh, you need to get a get, G-E-T, in order to divorce. And to get the get, you need to do certain things that were now violated in the contract that you that was written. Yeah, because oftentimes when we talk about divorce in the Old Testament, we look at it and we always kind of highlight the anything clause where a man can go, oh, I didn't like the way you cooked my uh, my uh, meal that night, so you're out with you. But actually, it goes the other way, too. A woman could divorce the husband because of the inability to take care of her, uh, provide for her, things of that nature. So there was a it was a balanced situation. And I'm not saying one is right or, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that or the other side is right, but I'm saying that it was a, a a contract between both parties, between the wife, hundred percent, and but the, the husband. The, here's what's interesting. Uh, I know, I happen to know a family. There was a divorce in the uh, between the husband and the wife, and the man wouldn't get. Would there would not be a get? He uh, the he guy wouldn't, he wouldn't get the get. He wouldn't give her the get, and she took her Judaism well enough. That in order to remarry, you need a get. You have to show the rabbi the, that, okay, I, I, I was divorced. I'm, I want to marry again. Okay, where's the get? My husband won't give it to me. What? You, I can't marry you. And so blackmail happens. 
You got Oh, really? Oh, it's it it, it again. There's other people that say, I don't care about the get. <laughs> Keep it. I'm doing what I want to do. Fine. But according to the structure within uh, Judaism, if you're going to remarry, you need the get. Um, and we're talking about more the negative side of the ketubah here. Right. No, because no, it's very positive. It's very positive because actually the reason we chose the ketubah is because people, we have left Revelation chapter 18, and now we are moving into Revelation chapter 19. We're getting to the... Oh wait, go ahead, Steve. I'm sorry. Uh, no, I, I don't mean to cut you I, off there. Are you? Do you want? Go us? ahead. Yes, because okay, okay. we've been highlighting. We've been highlighting. Jewish is there people? life after death? Jewish thinking on the afterlife from Moment Magazine. And Chris, we've already determined, uh, based on our first one. Remember the professor from Vanderbilt who told her mother, uh, who, whose mother said, "Do you do you think I'll see your father again?" And so she said, "Oh yes, you'll see your, you'll see him." She said, "I look like hell. How's how's it's no problem when you see him. He's gonna, you're gonna be beautiful." And she's, he's, you sure about that? She said, "Mom, I have a PhD in Bible. <laughs> That's uh, my favorite. I'm telling you." And so she said, "Okay." And then at, when her mother passed, the husband said, "You don't believe in the afterlife." And so she said, "I just told her that. Yeah, I do now." She said, "Was the exact quote." Well, now we come to. Jerome Groupman, who is a specialist on blood cancer. All these are Jewish people, thoughtful people. Uh, we're, this isn't a comedy when I write these things, although some of the things turn out to be comical. Yeah. But these are real heartfelt things that uh, folks are writing, various Jewish people. And so uh, Jerome thinks, he says this, I think about it a lot, death, that is, and afterlife. I'm a specialist in blood cancer. And I used to work with people with AIDS before it was treatable, people who had only a short time to live. I was brought up in a very traditional family. My mother extended family were Satmar. That's very ultra-Orthodox religious. And my father's family were from Vilna. That's, again, a location very, very religious. Orthodox, more of the rational Orthodox uh, in opposition to the Hasidim. So I have both the rationalist and the mystical tradition. I used to ask my father, do you think there's an afterlife? And he would shrug without an answer because it was an unanswerable question. And he said, at the very least, there's a sense that people live with memory. And this is something that is clearly very central. Four times a year, I go to Yisker. Chris, we haven't talked about Yisker, mm -mm. but Yisker is where you recite at the anniversary of a Jewish person, family member's death. You light a candle. You remember that person. Uh, and I observe my parents' yurtzeit. So do they exist in some dimension as souls, he asked. I would like it to be true. Sometimes I believe it, sometimes I don't. But I do know I feel their presence. I feel their spirit within myself. I'm going to be 60 next year, so it's time of life when you think about these things, and I'm still torn. You're confronted with mystery in the same way you have the mystery and marvel of birth, where all of a sudden a life appears. Here you have loved ones, parents, who have been part of your existence from the moment of awareness, and they disappear. It's confounding. It's perplexing. You strain to make sense of it. Mm. That's a very thoughtful, mm. truthful perspective, which all the more demands that there has to be an answer. There has to be an answer. If you're wrestling with the deep... if you If you believe in God, that's, the, again, we talk about that all the time. If you don't believe in God, then when you're dead, you're dead. I, we, we all, but if you do believe in God, then you know 
that God provided an answer. Now, there's people have different perspectives on that. Mm-hmm. Certainly, I would agree. We believe the scriptures to be true. We believed, as Mike commented, inerrant, and that they were given through the Holy Spirit and are absolutely true in their essence. Whatever it says, whether it's talking about the master liar Satan or whether it's talking about our beloved Savior, as Mike Mike talked about in John chapter 21. So here's a doctor who, or a specialist in blood cancer who has seen multiple deaths. And as we're speaking, Chris, we have a colleague whose wife is, and maybe even now, we were just uh, two hours ago, uh, he was testifying that she's in hospice, and today was the day day, she was to be home. And he said there's a sense of joy. How could somebody say that? His wife deteriorating right in front of his eyes, and there is a sense of joy. Great sadness, but great joy. That's counter to this, or it answers at least, this perplexing mystery as given in Moment magazine by Jerome Groupman. I think it also begs the question, too, of, you know, when, when we think about the term secular here in the United States, we think of somebody that completely removes God from, from all aspects of life if you're considered secular. Where, you know, I know that when you're Jewish, or in you, especially when you live in, in Israel, secular doesn't necessarily mean that you don't believe in God. It just means that you haven't, you don't necessarily believe in the God of the Bible. You might believe in a higher power. Um, you know, spiritual but, people say I'm spiritual, spiritual, but you know, in, in the world of, of the Israeli world, that could be someone who's secular. They're not wearing a kippah, uh, you know, men are not wearing a kippah, things of that nature. So it's interesting because it sounds like as a Jewish man, he's wrestling with the reality of science. It, it's it's wonderful. Every day. Doesn't it make you, you want Jerome, yeah. listen, <laughs> listen to me, Jerome, I have an answer for you. You know, it reminds me of the time when I first got saved. It, it's a very emotional thing for me. Because my mother's cousin was, I think I even shared with this, my mother's cousin uh, was dying of cancer. I just, I had come to Christ, told my parents they were not happy, and I forgot the circumstances. We were visiting her. And when we walked in, she was, she used to be a very plump lady. I mean, healthy, but, you know, she was a little round, older lady. Um, And when I saw her, it wasn't that way at all. And I, I remember going back to the car putting my hands on the steering wheel and saying, I wish I could say something. My mother comes in into the car and said, what's wrong? And I said, I, I have a message I can tell her. In this situation, I have a message. Hmm. And my mother got very upset. I, when her vein sticks out, you're in trouble. <laughs> and, it, and it was sticking out. And she said, don't you ever even think such a thought. Hmm. Which, again, if you understand the Gospels? What did they do to people? Uh, Mike, you know, what did they do to Jewish people who embraced Christ while he was on the earth and and the Pharisees found out? What would they do to you? Uh, Jesus told Jesus told people what would happen. Mm-hmm. If you follow me, be ready to leave your family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, exactly. they kick you out of the synagogue. That's right. Yep. And getting kicked out of the synagogue That's the is community. getting kicked out of life. Yep. You can't get a job. You can't see your family anymore. You are an outcast. It's as bad as leprosy. Mm -hmm. You're out and Mm -hmm. no way to come back in. As if you hadn't existed. Exactly. That was the aim. Exactly. Exactly. And so I wish we could talk to Jerome and the people like Jerome who are thoughtful people. And that's why we have the podcast. We joke. 
for all the seven people who listen. We want to encourage them, but we also want to inspire them that we have a message yes. in a in a hopeless situation for so many people. There is great hope. There is hope, and that's why and actually, I hope we get to chapter well, nineteen. I was going to say we we're, we're running out of time, but I think it will give us a good opportunity to get started in Revelation I chapter think we nineteen should. because this is when the hope moment happens. We've it been, sure inspired Handel, didn't it? Exactly. The whole the whole Handel's Messiah is built and leads us to this very moment. But the thing that's amazing to see is I feel like we've been in the muck and mire of the tribulation period, uh, and we've been kind of you know moving through it, and now it's going to give way to 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 Chris. We have gone through almost seven years of stuff, Mm -hmm. seven years of unleashing first the seals, and the seventh seal was the seventh trumpet, and the seventh trumpet is the vials, and all this time the earth is moaning under the judgment of God and Satan. Both. Mm-hmm. God's unleashing his judgment, and Satan in the midpoint has turned on God's chosen people and is unleashing his uh, his demons, literally, on the earth. We have seen, so there's destruction of the water and the ground. There's multitudes who have died. God has separated 144,000 Jewish people, and the two witnesses who he sent are dead and have raptured up, and now we're done with it. Now, at the end, it seems if it would go on any longer, if it would go on any longer, there'd be nothing or no one left. And that's where Handel, who probably didn't understand—I'm not saying he was a dispensationalist. I'm not, say- <laughs> I'm not saying any of that. I am saying that he read the text, and when he comes to chapter 19, it's a crescendo of— joy. Hallelujah. Mm-hmm. So why don't you read the text? Well, I, first, I want to mention, too, uh, Daniel talks about this. This is why you read Daniel with Revelation, because, see, Daniel is setting up the idea that these Gentile kingdoms would be oppressing God's people, you know, oppressing Israel. There would be—they uh, would have control over the land. They would have control, ultimately, over the blessing that God was giving uh, Abraham, the land, the descendants, the blessing. And there was always this oppression— that was going on throughout, even when even when uh, the Jewish people returned uh, in in 538 BC when they came back from exile. Yeah, they returned to the land. It was glorious. That's what that's what Ezra, Nehemiah, Zerubbabel are all doing. Yay, yay, yay! But the, but Zerubbabel isn't called the king of Israel. He's called the governor, which means he is beholden to another king. He was beholden to the Persian king, a Gentile. Um, and then when Jesus is on the scene. Jesus, his people are still under the weight of oppression, and the oppression, of course, were the Romans, and they had experienced that before with the Greeks. And so now all of but this Surus, is— Surus, nothing but Surus. Surus, and the, the thing is, is that the prophet Daniel had talked about this, the stacked layers of Gentile uh, um, oppression that would come um, over time. But Daniel gives way to this picture of these things, and it says this in Daniel chapter 2, starting in verse 44— in the t- in the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms, talking about those Gentile kingdoms, and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of a mountain, but not by human hands, a rock that broke the iron, broke the bronze, broke the clay, broke the silver, and broke the gold to pieces. Preach the, it, Chris. The great God has shown the king 
what will take place in the future. The dream is true, and its inter- interpretation is trustworthy. That happened with Daniel, and now we're fast-forwarding from Daniel's time in exile, 586 B.C., all the way up to John, who's receiving this vision in 90 A.D. for events that will still yet, that are still still yet, yet to happen. to come, and he says, after these things. That's right. So he's picking up on these things because this is that rock that's going to come and crush the kingdoms uh, and give way. And I'll, I'll start reading it really quick, and Steve, we can just begin it here, and then we'll we'll go to our Yiddish word, or to the news. But it says, After this I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for true and just are his judgments. He has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He has avenged on her the, the blood of his servants. And again they shouted, Hallelujah, the smoke from hers goes up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and four living creatures fell down. Now we go back to Revelation chapter 4 there. The the 24 elders, the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who was seated on the throne. And they cried, amen, hallelujah. This is crowd behavior. Picture a a sporting event. I'm not kidding. This This is after these things, after what we talked about, all the tsuris, the background you just gave us in Daniel. Here it is, a loud voice. It's a crescendo. It is coming. The only place... In the New Testament, uh, hallelujah, hallelujah. And they say it uh, several times, and I think four times. Uh, and it's preparing for the great victory that Daniel talked about. There's, it, a, there's a moment here, too, that's interesting to me, because it, it, there haven't been these moments throughout the book of Revelation where we encounter the 24 elders and the, the, uh, the four living creatures and so what's interesting is it almost seems like, that, remember in Revelation chapter 4, we're brought into the throne room of God. Amazing. And there's hallelujah, praise going on. Now all of a sudden, it, as Jesus is returning to earth, it's almost as if heaven and earth finally reconnect once again in complete harmony, because now just as Jesus is returning, they're seeing these events taking place. There's hallelujah, there's praise going on, and we're about to see Jesus return. And it's almost like we're getting a picture of the, this worship meeting that's going on in heaven, um, but the event hasn't even taken place yet. There's just so much excitement that's building because it's as if heaven and earth are finally, the footstool of heaven is finally going to meet the throne room of God and oh, the coming of Christ. Say that again. That's a great line. The footstool of heaven, which is what the Psalms call earth, yep. Jerusalem, will finally meet the throne room of God. The great way to put it. Put, he will put his feet down there, ultimately showing his authority over Chris, earth. when I uh, I had a birthday celebration over the weekend, and my family took me to uh, the, uh, the Phillies game, and the guy was pitching a no-hitter. You could hear the fan. It was going into the seventh inning, and there was a buzz. There was a buzz. I'm, I'm serious. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. That, yeah. My no hitter feeling. We, it, it was each inning, it was getting a little more and a little more. The seventh inning, the first guy walked. The crowd moaned. The second uh, batter uh, hit, uh, hit a ground ball to the shortstop. Error. Next guy grounded to the right side, and it was second and third. Second and third, one out. And then there was another, I think, a strikeout. So it's two outs, two on, a no hitter. I was talking to my daughter-in-law, my son's wife. She was, because she was taking care of the kids, she didn't even know. I said, he's pitching a no-hitter. Listen to the crowd. Uh, And there was a buzz, just like this is something is happening. The tension is building. And then the next guy up, a former Philly, I might add, gets up. The first pitch, 
gone. <laughs> the air in the building. That's right. Gone. Here, it's not going away. That's right. There's not going to be a disappointment. This isn't, oh, it's so good, something bad's going to happen. Oh, no. This is building up as though it was a no-hitter, and he's going to get a perfect game. That's And fan- the crowd is going crazy. That's exactly what's happening. And that's why I think we should pick up on this next week. I agree. Uh, because we have some We're news. going too much anyway. I know, well, we've got a great family here. We that's have a thing. family. We here. have our mishpacha here. That's so, right. All right. So um, let's talk about the news. I found these two articles that I want to read back to back, Steve, um, from one from the Jerusalem Post and one from the Times of Israel. Um, Israel's democracy needs an independent judiciary, Kamala Harris says, uh, the two leaders have chilly relations since Biden took office, talking about Israel and the United States. Biden has pressed Netanyahu in recent months to drop the judicial overhaul plan. And it says this, U.S. Vice President Kamala Harris said on Tuesday that Israel's democracy requires, quote, an independent judiciary wading into the controversy <laughs> over Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's proposal, uh, proposed judiciary overhaul that is drawing I'm mass sorry, Chris, I have to laugh because it's such a riot when people think they know something. They think they know. Kamala Harris thinks she knows. She thinks she knows what's going on. And we say it all the time. Israel's a democracy. The people there understand the issues. And she thinks she understands. Read the next one. Well, that's so I just want to say that. Well, that's why this next one popped up, which said that the foreign minister, Ellie Cohen, on Wednesday actually criticized U.S. Vice President Kamala Harris in a in a nice way, respectable way. Uh, after she stressed the importance of an independent judiciary and an event hosted by the Israeli embassy in Washington um, and the not so subtle allusion by Harris on Tuesday to the Biden administration. And it goes on and he writes, says this, if if we were to ask Kamala Harris what bothers her about the reform, she wouldn't be able to name a single clause. And she said he says maybe she should read it because I think she might actually agree with more of what we're trying to do, because honestly, you know, what people don't understand about the judiciary reform that they're trying to do is actually Netanyahu and his 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 coalition are trying to actually make it more American um, by giving more voice to the people. That's the goal is to give the Israelis more voice on how they elect the vacancies that appear in the judiciary. And so it's just interesting because I think it becomes more of a political talking point for them. Ignorance. She's she's ignorant. What they don't realize and won't say, and we've said it here to the seven people who are bothering to listen. <laughs> who have bothered to make it this that, far into the podcast. That's right. If they're, still... they're all out learning Mahjong right now. That's what's going on. <laughs> but the, the point is that they're uh, it, they are trying to, how can I... Uh-huh. The best way to say it, the leave the politic to Israel. They all agree. Every almost everybody in the country believes there should be reform in the judiciary. It's how they're going to do it. Okay, they didn't like the Netanyahu's a party party's ways, and they're letting people know. That's why it's a democracy. 100%. That's what I— Let them let figure it out. Listen, I've had Israelis criticize me for my opinion, and they say, why do you care so much? And I go, well, because I love Israel and I love politics, and so I do care. But my voice doesn't mean any. It's not going to make a difference for— <laughs> The Israelis are the ones who vote, not Chris Katolka. But the point, though, is that uh, no matter who the party is in power— the, is, the Israeli people have shown that they want judicial reform. They just might not want Netanyahu to do it. And that's 100%. why they're trying to find a middle ground, and we'll see what happens. But I thought it was very interesting, these back-to-back articles. One was that she criticized them, and the next is that the foreign minister says, 
maybe she should read what we're saying. Chris, and tell them how that anytime we do these news items, there's an opportunity for people. If we only comment on them uh, and they might be trying to write it down, tell them how they could get the news items. Yeah, all the information that we supply for you. So whether or not you want to register for a class or you want to sign up to do Encounter or you want to read the news, whatever it might be, uh, you can just go to the show notes that are in the podcast feed that you have. If you're listening on any podcast program, you'll see the show notes there. Um, and then if you're listen- watching on YouTube, you'll see the show notes down at the bottom. You can click on it and they're they all They can links. click it. And how much does it cost them? It's free, of it's, course. It's free. I mean, everything's free. We're Hamish. Don't, aren't we supposed to say seven times something? Free, 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 free. Free, 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 oh, free. Go. All, right. All right, Chris. Uh, my wife, wife sent this. My yes. wife sent this. Uh, Alice is she's a she's a sharp one. She's that's 100%. how Shana got to be smart. Uh, she sent this from the forward. The church preacher who gave sermons in Yiddish. A Jewish believer. A Jewish believer. And I have his story. I love this connection because I've only read parts of the biography that I have. I have a book about Joseph Rabinowitz. What do you think? <laughs> what, do you, what do you think? Does it sound a little Jewish? <laughs> Just a little, tiny bit. Yosef, how you doing? <laughs> Yosef Rabinowitz, uh, who founded a Christian Jewish sect in the Jewish community of Kishnef Barsaraba, where he did indeed preach the original gospel in Yiddish. That I would love to. I, don't I, you wish you could listen is, to those um, messages? Hey, I, I only know words. I don't know sentences. But just sitting, I remember my parents speaking Yiddish. It's a it's a language of spitting and chucking and and yucking and all kinds of different stuff. But it's so expressive. And could you imagine what Mike said concerning John, the last chapter in the Bible, if he were able to speak Yiddish and talk about all these things? <laughs> there would be spit flying all over. It would be a great thing. But Yosef Rabinowitz. Uh, had the opportunity to preach, and I, I thought I wrote it. I thought I found a place uh, where you were you were uh, underlining stuff like crazy. I know, there for but a I don't I don't know where it went. Uh, of course, that's the beauty of uh, live feed, right? When well, you can't. Uh, I'll just read this. Oh wait! Interestingly, Rabinowitz never let go of his Jewish identity. Although most Jewish converts to Christianity were expected to adopt a Christian name, Rabinowitz refused to do so. He died of malaria in 1899. So what do we make of this complex man? It's clear that at least part of Rabinowitz's motivation in creating culturally Jewish church was his desperate, desperate desire to usher in a more promising future for the Jews. Yep. An answer to the to Mr. Uh, Jerome. Yep, who, who would have probably benefited uh, from these he messages. Have been, we have a message, and he knew it. Uh, he insisted on doing it this way. Right before being baptized in Berlin, Rabinowitz told the Christian authorities who were supervising the conversion that he still wanted to be able to tell his followers that he could continue to keep the Shabbos, the Shabbos Sabbath as practice circumcision. Reluctantly, they agreed. Look, Chris, there's people who do church differently. And Paul wrote in Galatians, beware of the Judaizers. That's a very important thing. Uh, all I can say is we have liberty in Jesus Christ. Both my boys were circumcised on the eighth day. Uh, we don't keep the Sabbath, but we we try to uh, in to give to our kids an essence of who they were from their mom and their dad. Rabinovitz wanted to keep what he had, but what he had was so much more. Mm-hmm. We would agree, and he agreed. 
And so he preached the gospel to his own people in a language that they could understand and identify with. It's a it's a beautiful thing. I'm reading this book right now um, by a, a theologian um, scholar who it's called Paul and his Gentile problem. And um, I had told you about this book, and it's interesting because he actually argues that the the Judaizers in Galatians were not Jewish people. He says they were Gentiles who were trying to make other Gentiles be Jewish. And so the Jewish people weren't even, you know, the ones coming in to do that. They were Gentiles that were forcing people to do it. And he's got an interesting take on it. But the point was that nowhere does God say Jewish people have to stop being Jewish in nowhere. the New Testament. Nowhere. It doesn't say that. And so that's why— Hey, at, they had to have a meeting in Acts 15. What do we do with the Goyim? Exactly. What, what do we go— Do they have to keep kosher? What What's the deal? Do they have to get circumcised? That, that adds strength to the argument of the author of the book you're reading. And so anyway, it's what's really good, too, is to see—it's it's around this time, too, that sentiments of Christians begin to change for the Jewish people as Joseph Rabinowitz is preaching the gospel in Yiddish. You know, you have, you have Christians who are reading the Bible— and they're saying, uh, Christians that are saying Jewish people should go back to their homeland. Um, uh, who was uh, um, uh, Theodore Herzl's friend? Um, oh, why am I forgetting his name now? Heckler. My, Heckler, who said all it's the duty of all Christians to love the Jewish people. He didn't say and convert them and make them put a take a Christian name. He said that they should return to their land. And so uh, there was something going on. There was a, 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 a real sense of bi literal Bible reading that was going on that was eliminating kind of those, as it was saying, Jews would have to take Christian names. No, he kept this identity and was able to minister to people in that way as well. Before we do the Yiddish word, we want to give uh, my son-in-law and daughter a chance if they, who Final knows, words. they could have the last word. Since he, since Mike did the last chapter in John, any last words for either one of you? There's a pregnant pause here. That's pregnant right. pause, Yeah. This is a great podcast. You're doing the right thing, helping us understand why we need to be aware of Jewish culture and custom and how that helps us to be better believers and understanders of what we're reading in the Bible. Mm. That's such a valuable service. It's a lost art, really. I'll say something about John 21 that makes it, I think, the most Jewish chapter in the New Testament. Okay, I like This that. is what got me into John 21. A baffling image, right? So the, the disciples, Jesus has been gone for a long time. They don't know what to do. They're fishermen, so what do they do? They go back to Galilee, and they fish. they got to take care of themselves and their families. And one day, they're, Peter's looking and sees on the beach. Yeah, wait, is that the resurrected Lord? You know the story. Well, what's Jesus doing there? He's on the beach, the resurrected Lord, and he's doing what? He's, he's cooking. He's smoking white fish <laughs> and making I bread for them. Yes. And he invites them. The resurrected Lord invites them to a, a smoked whitefish breakfast this that the, he has prepared for them. This is the best thing I've ever heard in my life. That's right discipleship. Here. That is a deli plate <laughs> with smoked whitefish. And what did we have Sunday? <laughs> That's what I <laughs> tell him, Chris. You were you were there. Well, I just want to say this. It Steve is Steve turned seventy on Sunday, and we're gonna do it. We haven't done it today, but there's stuff coming for you, Steve for your 70th oh, birthday yeah, yeah. On, the, on the podcast. But when we got to his house, there was a big spread of fish and meat, everything from Moishinitzi's Deli in in. Oh, they County. don't know they're getting a plug. Exactly. And so it was just an absolutely fantastic. I, right oh, I went right to the fish. 
And I didn't even know half the stuff on there. There was a spread. Herring. Spread. There was herring spread. Oh, that was There good. was fish salad, and there was smoked fish. They kept it. Mike, did you notice the tail? That's right. And the two eyes in the front? It was a whole fish. That was and fantastic. that's the only way. Right? That's the only way. <laughs> I, that is a great point, Mike. That the, the I white fish. Smoke fish. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus gives. He couldn't wait to make breakfast <laughs> for good, his, his, a, his disciples. A good kosher breakfast. I love it. kosher breakfast. How about you, Shane? Any last words? No, nothing after that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Except for the fact that you're coming back from fromage. Oh, coming back for Maj, Chris, and I hope you'll be there. I will be there. We're, we're going to feature it on the podcast as well. So oh, I think we went overtime. How long is it? No, go- we're going good, but we have people. Yiddish word of the day. Yiddish Chris, word of the day. We decided. What do you do at a wedding? What we just heard about whitefish. What do you do at a wedding? You eat. So the words today are actually two. Es gesundheit. Es gesundheit. You eat in health. Okay, good. So that's like a bone appetite. Bone appetite, but. No, whitefish is not leaving my brain for the next hour or so. And you, you are you like you like gefilte fish? I love, love gefilte fish, whitefish, uh, and your grandkids too. It's in the blood. It's uh, in the yeah, street. little Eli loves his gefilte. F- I mean, not gefilte fish, locks. His locks. Okay, locks. he's got. I don't know, premium. Bella. You into locks? No, nope. William. Mm, not so much. All right. Well, they're still, We're still that's working the, on gefilte. <laughs> Well, that's our Yiddish word of the day, and it is Eis Gesundheit. Eis Gesundheit. All right, everybody. Well, thank you so much for being a part of the Jew and Gentile podcast. Hey, listen, just a fresh reminder, we've got some great classes coming up for you to be a part of. You can go to foiequip.org. Now you can go. You can leave now, and you can click on the link. Chris, they left a long time ago. If you stuck around, thank you for doing that. And now you can go register for our class on June 15th on the Sixth Day War. You can also register for our church history class. It's coming up up in July. You can even sign up to be a part of our encounter program where you can come right here to the Friends of Israel headquarters and we will introduce you to the Jewish community of New York, New Jersey, and Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. So please come check us out. Click on the links. Hey, we'll see you next week.